Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode with me, Kimi Kavoli. Today we have a really interesting person on the show. He is a professional volleyball player, he has several degrees in nutrition, and now he's starting a really great men's skincare line, which I predict is going to be huge. Um, so I'm really excited to have you on the show, Chris. Could you give us a little intro about yourself or a little blurb? Yeah, no, of course. Well, first off, thanks for having me on the show. It's um, it's good to be here. This is my first podcast, so yeah, it's exciting. And um, yeah, I'll try and give you a brief sort of short story into my background and how I kind of got to where I am today. Um, but it all started around the time that London hosted the Olympics in 2012. So I must have been about 17 or 18 at the time, and um, I'm six foot ten now. But back then, I was probably about six foot eight. Wait, you're six foot ten? I am six foot ten, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I was just a sort of average student, really. I was at school, and uh, this was in 2007, 2008, so we knew that we were hosting the Games in, in London. And didn't play sport to a particularly high level. I was not the most talented athlete at all. I was very like tall and thin and still growing into my body, not the most coordinated back then. Um, and yeah, just sort of going about normal school life without really knowing what I wanted to do or where I was going to go. And uh, when we won the bid to host the Olympics, a lot of sort of funding came into sport in general to prepare for that home games. And some of that funding was allocated to Talent ID. So a nationwide search looking for tall sort of potential athletes for the future. Um, so I uh, looked into this program. It was called Sporting Giants. And it was sort of kind of headed up by um, one of our sort of top athletes, one of the one of the greatest Olympians of all time, really, five-time Olympic gold medalist, so Steve Redgrave. He was a rower. And... Um, yeah, they're looking for tall, tall athletes. So I signed up to be a part of this program, not thinking much of it at the time. And over the course of a year, uh, long story short, um, they kind of took numbers starting from around 4,000 people and cut them down over time to four. There was four of us left at the end of this process where they tested us, tested our fitness, stamina, agility, coordination, all these things, teaching us volleyball, like how, how quick could we learn volleyball. Um, and it was for volleyball, handball and rowing. And the goal was to prepare us for the Olympics in 2012. There wasn't quite enough time to do that, but I got to the end of the programme and joined the national team programme at the University of Bath and essentially went from being, being in school to a full-time performance training environment, which was a massive adjustment. Um, you, when you think about it, a lot of athletes kind of go through a transition where they are in kind of a, a county setup or a setup where they're taking it quite seriously and um, I went from playing tennis at school level to playing beach volleyball at a professional level over a short time. So adjusting to that was a big challenge. And it wasn't just about sport and managing myself off the court. It was about social and academics. So I was studying a degree as well. and um, But it was an amazing thing to be a part of. And um, I think one of the things I struggled with a lot was nutrition. So uh, being 6'10", like fueling sort of my own body and my own training with the right nutrition was really important and it took me a while to learn how to do that well and I struggled with um, energy and not sleeping well and recovery and all these things so I went to go and study nutrition science and took five diplomas in nutrition um, and that was over the course of the next sort of four five six years after the 2012 Olympics which I didn't compete in but um, 
myself and my teammate, we paired up with the same age, with the same sort of goals, and we wanted to go to the Olympics in 2016. Uh, we had no funding uh, at all, and on average, it cost about sixty, seventy thousand pounds a year to compete as an athlete. That's without sort of living. That's without um, your own sort of wage. So we partnered up with people and found sponsors and set about trying to qualify for the Olympics in Rio and. It was an incredible journey. It was an incredible ride. And I learned so much from it, not just in terms of playing beach volleyball and learning the game, but a lot of things from outside of, outside of sport as well. Um, and then we competed in the 2018 Commonwealth Games for Team England on the Gold Coast, which was probably like the pinnacle of where we got to so far. Um, and I've talked a lot, but that's kind of... That's kind of that's a huge journey. I mean, and I love how spontaneous it was. So you went from being like 17 years old, just minding your own business and seeing a little ad for tall people. And that's, <laughs> and that just changed your whole life. I mean, and out of 4,000 people you were chosen, um, that's, that's incredible. And so um, do you remember what you wanted to do before that moment? But I didn't really know, to be honest. I was a bit sort of stuck on that one. And so during that time, you were struggling with your nutrition and you got five diplomas. That's a lot. Of, I, I've never heard of somebody getting five diplomas in nutrition, but I imagine that helped you a lot. And so what are some of the things that, um, that you learned that, like, you changed, that changed your life a bit? Part of it was, or well, initially it was to do with my own performance and my own nutrition and health. But once I dived into it and got into it, I just found this real interest in the in the world of like nutrition science i think it's just an amazing thing and learning how to make better choices for you um impacts on your vitality and your mood and and everything it's so important so i, I got really invested in it and I, I went from one diploma to the next over time um and just learned about nutritional therapy and, and weight loss and weight management and um detox nutrition uh gut science is fascinating i think it's going to be a really definitely good um I feel like we're just at the beginning of all this knowledge um, about the gut and how it's linked to so so much. Like I read somewhere a uh, crazy statistic, like 90% of all diseases um, are starting in your gut, including depression and um, Alzheimer's. So that's really crazy. But um, I was going to ask you, do you think that when it comes to nutrition, everybody is very unique, like their needs? Because I hear this all the time um, regarding yeah, just like what kind of macros to eat and even calorie loads. Like, do you think that it is possible when you see these, like, um, like in America, we have these associations uh, or the doctors are always trying to get our um, BMI to calculate how many calories we need. They're actually looking at um, getting rid of the body mass index as a tool over here now because it's not an accurate representation um, for everyone. So, and yes, as well, in studying nutrition science, my biggest of learning from it or taking from it was that nutrition is deeply deeply personal it's there's, there's not one size fits all there's a famous saying um one man's one man's food is another man's poison you have to understand the individual and in order to help them and get the best for them you need to have that contact time and get an understanding of their history and what they want to achieve with it so Yes. So what you're saying is that you can't even give like me advice on what to eat if you don't know my personal history or like how active I am or what, what do you need to know about somebody's lifestyle to really be able to give um, qualified advice? I think there are, there are some sort of broad like general rules, which are always going to apply to the masses. I'm not, I'm not a fan of 
the concept of like diets and dieting, this sort of jumping from one thing to the next and it's got to be sustainable. And it's not about calorie counting either to the calorie. It's about just getting a, a real kind of understanding of what works well for you. But if I was going to work with someone, I'd, I'd first off want to find out for, yeah, more about them as a person. Um, what's their relationship with food? Um, what are their current habits? What makes them feel good? What makes them feel bad? And try and highlight those points within a food diary to kind of identify what immediate changes you can make. And it's important to work with someone over time because you can't make all the changes in the world overnight. You can work on a maximum, absolute maximum of three things at once. And sometimes even that is too much. And it's okay. It's okay just to focus on one or two. And they could be the most simple things in the world just by making sure that you have a green tea every day in the morning or making sure you have an apple a day at this time before a meal. Um, I mean, some general things that I, I kind of focus on are fibre, like soluble and insoluble fibre is, is really important. We spoke about the gut as well, making sure that you're having some fermented foods in your diet and maybe taking probiotics as well. If you've got gut, gut issues especially, it's important to go through a bit of a restoration programme, which to, to kind of reset. Um, the, the glycemic index is an important tool to use as well, I think, when you look at... If people are consuming a lot of foods that are high on the glycemic index, that means their blood sugar spiking a lot and they're going, to, they're going through cycles and they're likely going to be struggling with weight or struggling with mood. So there are some things that you could identify really early on, but I'm definitely all about working with the person and finding out more detail before going mm. into things. Yeah, I feel like um, in my experience when myself or somebody around me um they're struggling with something like cravings or uh, energy or even like depression or something i feel like a lot of the times the solution is simple like what you said about a green tea but like the like last week i think it was i was like feeling a bit um just like craving so much and i i didn't know why because like i would eat but then i would be hungry and i didn't really understand why and i've been eating um i sometimes i'm like an accidental vegan and i i don't mean to be i i eat meat and stuff i'm just like i'm not a big meat eater and sometimes i just like find myself not eating enough protein and i got a protein powder um the other day but just because it was chocolate flavored and i wanted to make a peanut butter chocolate some milkshakes um, but anyway i started taking that in the morning and um I felt so much stronger and better and like I felt like um I saw my muscle definition again like I felt like so different I didn't even realize that that was the only change I had made and I had clearly been lacking enough protein and like that just that one small thing changed so much so I feel like a lot of the times it is a nutritional deficiency or like the the other day as well like a month ago I I felt like I had a lack of energy and I was at this uh, health store and I got these chewable vitamin C and I felt so much better yeah no you're exactly right De deficiencies can, can can drive cravings and i think it all starts in the brain and i mean there's a link between the gut and the brain as we know now uh, which is really powerful but people talk a lot about willpower they talk a lot about right oh if you want to change that much then just you know just go and do it and just stick to something be disciplined but ultimately it's it's not that straightforward and it's not that easy and you can't rely on willpower alone because what's happening chemically and hormonally in your body will drive the decision eventually, which is why it's important to implement these changes over time that are going to give you balance and equilibrium like in your body when it comes to the, getting the right macros. And you just gave an example there of protein and carbs are really important. And people think that, uh, as a fact, but um, people think that carbs are the devil, but not all carbs are made equal. 
and some carbs are high on the glycemic index and will drive weight gain and drive like fat into storage in your body and things like that. Um, but there are carbs in the forms of like lentils and chickpeas and um, sweet potato and so on, which are really good for you and really important for you. And that's an energy source that we all need. Some people like keto, some people like keto diets and want to use fat as fuel, which is absolutely fine. Like I said, it's all personal, so it's about the individual. But for me personally, like being 6'10 and keto doesn't work for me, I, I, I look at those carbs as fuels. And once when I get the right macros, when you get the right macros, that's when you feel your absolute optimum best. Yeah, and I think it's really funny and also, but not funny, but like in a sad kind of way, is like how people think that keto things are healthy, which it is if you're doing keto. But uh, I have friends who like will drink a bulletproof coffee and just put like a ton of ghee in there and fat, and then they'll just keep eating a bunch of carbs as well. And then they don't understand why they're gaining weight. And they don't understand that keto is like when your body is in ketosis, it is no longer using um, carbs and uh, glycogen. Uh, for energy, it's using fat. And so if you still have carbs, <laughs> your body is going to eat the carbs and then the fat is just going to be fat. And so um, it's important to understand that. My cousin who's always trying to lose weight, I'm not, I hope she's not listening to this, but she <laughs> always gets low-fat yogurts and the, or non-fat. And that makes me so pissed because I'm like always telling her non-fat is bad because then they replace the fat with sugars and and worse things whereas fat keeps you full so um yeah we need to have a healthier relationship to <laughs> to these kinds of nutrients yeah you're right i mean as part of your macro ratios and percentages that is essential we there are essential fats that we need there are some fats that can drive like inflammation if you if you take in the wrong types and the right the wrong amounts but you mean with like bacon <laughs> possibly you're looking at some carcinogenics there as well potentially as well well what are the bad fats then for according to you let's say we use the example of um body and your hormones like driving decisions when it comes to foods so if you're in a state where you're craving something your brain was will, will associate um with a food that has a high calorie content and per gram carbs per gram is four calories fats is nine um, calories per gram so that's why some for example you might be looking at some sort of pastry that's got like sugar in so you're combining sugar and fats and together that's a really high calorie food that your body's telling you that it needs when really obviously you don't and those types of fats there are the ones that are going to drive inflammation so avoid pastries i live in paris i never say to, i never say to anyone like you can't eat this but let's follow these habits and these routines and then treat that thing that you want, that you enjoy, because it's important to enjoy food. Treat that, sure. small, treat that small thing that you enjoy at the end of the week or at the end of a phase as like a reward for all this work that you've done and then celebrate Thanks. that work with that, with that thing that you like rather than having a relapse and then feeling guilty because guilt is, an, is, this is the emotional part of food and the relationship that people have with food. If you feel guilty after consumption, that's going to get you back into a cycle because you eat more of that food to like satisfy that guilt in a way. Um, and that's a really important thing to consider. We should be celebrating the things that we enjoy with the work that we've done and we can do that. But what people will find is that once you actually stick to a routine that helps you find balance and better health and better energy, you'll all of a sudden realize that you don't actually want it anyway. 
Um, yeah, um, but I feel like it's easier said than done because uh, my friends who struggle with their weight um, have like personality types that are more, I want to say like extreme and they have to do things like black and white and it's either like I'm going to go on this crash diet or like I'm just going to go eat out three times a day um, on the weekends, which um, I, I'm not that kind of person and I've always, uh, I don't know, I always try and tell them to um, believe in moderation and uh, like and also balance so um, the way I eat whatever I want is like if I'm gonna have five guys tonight then I will fast like and I'll skip the next meal or something and so that way we're like if I'm I know I'm gonna eat out one day then I know like for the next few days like until I feel um, good then I'm gonna be eating at home so I feel like it's a good balance um, instead of being like so extreme but I don't feel like that's that easy to actually follow when you have a certain personality type yeah it's true like we're all different and some people are very they can flick a switch and be very disciplined um but obviously by being extreme and yo-yoing from one thing to the next ultimately long term is not good for your health and when it comes to fasting occasional fasting you it's safe to say that it is good for you um as a general rule your body goes through a process called autophagy where essentially the cellular waste on your, in, in, in your gut lining kind of sheds through a process of, of fasting for a certain period of time so which is which is really which is really good for you i think the only people who are not or should never fast right are people with thyroid issues possibly yeah this is a hormonal obviously like condition so yeah those sorts of decisions can impact on those balances and before we change the topic onto your skincare line, I was going to ask, do you have any supplements that you'd recommend that most people could benefit from? I, I mean, I take supplements fairly religiously. That's because I want to be able to hit my targets of protein for the day. And I'm in quite an intensive training program because I'm still competing now. I'm still an athlete. So about 200 grams, 220 grams of protein per day. It's quite a bit. So I supplement with with a protein formula, brown rice and pea protein. I actually work for the brand, but it's brilliant. I really like it. And Pea protein is super sustainable too. Exactly, yeah, it is more sustainable. But I also take magnesium before bed. For sleeping or for stress or for everything? Um, for sleeping. So magnesium, when it's in your system, it, it, it it's in a way it sort of um, cleans the cells in your brain as you sleep and it can help you achieve deeper sleep. So normally paired with zinc, um, a small amount of zinc, I take magnesium before bed. I take omega-3s. I'm just starting to experiment a little bit with CBD, but I'm not particularly well-researched on CBD. And why do you take omega-3? I mean, omega-3 is just, if I was going to pick one supplement to take or recommend to anyone, omega-3 would be way up there. Omega three and, and a high strength, a high strength vitamin C. I'd recommend as a baseline. When it comes to omega three, what kind of source are you using? I'm actually using two different ones at the moment, just by chance. One is there's DHA and oh my god, I forgot the other one. E EPA. That's right, EPA. Thank you for running. And I'm also using a vegan sourced omega-3 as well at the moment not saying either one's better than the other i don't i don't really know at the moment omega-3s yeah. are really expensive if you get a good one more often than not but i feel like that's the one thing that's worth splurging on um because there are so many different kinds and also they tend to perish as well in the capsule so you want to get uh something that actually retains the nutrients and also like i was taking a liquid one which um i mean i think it's the best to do a liquid when it comes to omega-3 although then sometimes you get kind of fishy burps which i wouldn't really recommend if you're going on a date or something <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what other kind of supplements are you taking 
I mean, I've got a I've got a multivitamin as well that's there for all to take that. You're taking a multivitamin on top of the vitamin C. Yeah, I do occasionally. That's a lot of vitamin C. Yeah, I mean, there are different levels of toxicity when it comes to vitamins and minerals, but vitamin C, you'd have to take a lot, a lot, a lot to to even get close to it. So, so. and for working out, do you take creatine or do you have any kind of like um, supplements that you'd recommend for somebody who's trying to get swole? Get swole. Um, well, first off, obviously protein. It's always actually a, a beginner or someone that's returning to the gym, as some of us are now in the UK. It's important to actually take a little bit more protein on your return because once you get used to protein synthesis and taking it regularly as an athlete, you can function up a tiny bit less. I take a creatine and green tea supplement before I train. Green tea and an apple before you train is great. There's a nice amount of caffeine in in there. Another little tip is have an apple or a pear about 15 minutes before a main meal if you're trying to lose weight and it's been shown to reduce your calorie count um, over time by about from the fiber 500 calories there's a, a pectin an ingredient called oh. pectin in apples and pears which can help you reduce your intake for a main meal and so do you have other kinds of um i guess supplements that you'd recommend for like you were talking about how you had specialized in um nutrition for energy and for feeling good so are there other tips you have about uh, hydration is often overlooked we talk, we talk about it a lot but you gotta really consider how important hydration is get get it in your herbal teas or your green teas it's a really good way to hydrate and just keep it consistent throughout the day if you can we haven't really talked about micros and we talk about bioflavonoids which are kind of deemed as the pharmacy of what nature provides essentially and make sure you get in the right fruits and veg in obviously berries strawberries blueberries raspberries and stuff all contain quite a high um amount of antioxidants bioflavonoids and antioxidants which is again really important to achieve optimum vitality for everyone sprouts are another good way to get micronutrients i feel like and sprouted foods as well and like maybe um fermented foods yeah i mean kombucha is starting to take off a little bit people are enjoying sort of fermenting their own teas which is a great way to get some probiotics in um yeah no you're you're right it's essential to find like balance with both and making sure you're getting both like one thing um when it comes to like green leafy veg i mean eating like broccoli and cabbage like three times a week can reduce cooked right sorry Sorry, cooked broccoli or raw? So I always steam my veg. Um, if you boil it, you can lose up to 90% of the nutrients in your veg if you boil. And it, it just goes into the water and you lose it. And um, you can eat it raw as well, obviously. But what I do typically is take frozen veg because it has to be frozen within 24 hours of picking, which actually maintains some of the nutrients in there. And then I steam it. Um, and steaming helps retain the nutrients in, in your veg. And if you eat um, sprouts, cabbage, broccoli, sort of green veg, uh, leafy green veg, like three times a week, it can reduce what's well, been shown to reduce your risk of cancer by a third. Oh, wow. So it, um, it shows how important it is. 
That's crazy. And when I think about broccoli and the cruciferous veggies, I do think about bloat because a lot of people have a hard time digesting them. And I also wanted to say like on that topic is that uh, intolerances are something to keep in mind that sometimes we can be intolerant to the most random things. Like I took a test and it turns out that I'm intolerant to apples. And at first when I read that, I was like, what apples? But I love apples. And then when I thought about it, I realized that every time I eat a freaking apple, I get a stomach ache. And I never, I thought that was normal. And I Googled it too before. I'm like, are stomach aches normal when you eat apples? And my friends are like, no, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. <laughs> or there's also oral allergies. Like um, when I eat kiwis, I feel really weird in my throat. Like it feels really off. And uh, I asked around and that's apparently not normal. And I read about that um, sometimes maybe it's because of the pollen and like growing uh, around the produce or what whatnot. But like um, – Oral allergies are also common. So I would say it's good to just like pay attention to what you're eating and seeing how you feel because even for me, like cauliflower really upsets my stomach and I want to throw up after I eat it. And I'm sorry for all the details, but like I just want to say that it's um, just because it's healthy doesn't mean that it's healthy for you. I'm glad you raised, you raised this point. And this is a, again a part of why it's so personal. And unfortunately, food intolerances are becoming a lot more common and a lot more frequent now. And it's to do with the way that we produce and consume in society today and what all the processes that are involved. And it's it's putting more stress on our system. There's something called leaky gut syndrome, which is to do with the health of your gut lining. I and mean, this is why probiotics are so important and gut, gut health is so important. But if you have an irritated gut lining, then small food particles can actually leak through your gut lining into your bloodstream. And this is what is causing and driving food intolerances. In people and food intolerances can affect your mood significantly um, they can give you just mild colds and headaches and they can also drive like water retention in your cells which increases your weight so for someone that's going through a weight loss program in particular it's important to identify these things because once you get into low mood that's when you sometimes turn to food and then water retention is going to just maintain and increase your weight and you're going to struggle to lose it a lot of the the weight that you use that you lose initially in a weight loss program is actually water and fluid uh, that's been stored in your cells and that's partly to do with probably food intolerances and not being hydrated enough you need to hydrate to flush that fluid and that water out of your system yeah like the same way keto is like you eat fat to burn fat drinking water helps you dispel the water retention like you have to drink the water to get rid of all the water weight but moving on because i know i have like been talking about nutrition forever and uh, <laughs> i think you can tell it could keep going and going <laughs> but um i wanted to talk about another interesting part of your life because you're a complex human and you have many interests so <laughs> you started a skincare line which is crazy i mean you've done so much so this is the new chapter of your life it sounds like you're working on a skincare line for men for different seasons like i'll let you explain but it sounds like a great idea yeah sure thanks that is really exciting i'm so excited about it and i'm so excited about what we've created in terms of the brand and the concept and what it's been born from and i spoke previously about sort of my story and how i kind of got into volleyball and where that took me and Kind of moving on from that, we got to, we did this sort of five, six year run playing beach volleyball full time on the world tour and competing for England, reached the Commonwealth Games. And that was a real sort of milestone and turning point. So after the 2018 Commonwealth Games, I still stayed in the sport and competed just to, just to a different level with different teammates. And I wasn't quite sure what was next. And I wanted to gain a bit more knowledge in business and how to run business. So I went to take an MBA. And then whilst I was at university was when 
this sort of skincare idea came in and it stemmed from um being a beach volleyball player so traveling the world being exposed to the sun and harsh conditions consistently but also going from warm weather environments to cold weather and dry cold as well and moving through like polluted cities um across the world it really takes its toll on your skin and because of it i've got quite sun damaged skin that has aged maybe a bit quicker than your average person so moving from late 20s to early 30s i was like i really want to take care take better care of this and take better care of myself and practices in self-care i think are so important in today's society taking time and moments for yourself however small they are i think are essential they're like anchors in your day and routine is part of remaining consistent as well with whatever you're trying to achieve whether it's with to get better skin or increased performance in the gym you know it's all about being consistent and that was part of my life as an athlete and that's what i learned from practices in sport but also in nutrition as well and that's what's enabled me to create a, a better overall picture of health and that's part of the message behind the name of the brand and that's why it's called endure e-n-d-u-r-e to endure with the process and the routine and with things that you want to achieve and that's the kind of message that i want to hammer home with with the endure community uh, with this men's brand um so what kind of products are you going to offer so we're starting with four core products um and it hasn't launched yet so we're launching hopefully um before the end of this year and um because of that whole concept of being exposed to the sun and moving from place to place i wanted to keep it simple simple but effective for men to incorporate into their day and their routine so it's simply um a warm weather day moisturizer and night moisturizer and a warm weather a cold weather sorry uh day moisturizer and night moisturizer and so you've got four products there but it covers you for the entire year and if you're in a warm warm environment you've got a very sort of light and non-oily um moisturizer that's got anti-aging properties but also is also some an spf as well that protects you because that's really important for for anti-aging to protect yourself from the sun as we know and then there's a night cream there that is quite refreshing it's really light easily absorbed and helps you restore and recover from exposure in the day um but it's got quite a cooling element to it as well because we're in a hot environment a warmer environment and then the cold weather is you know we're exposed to dry cold to wind lower humidity and it, it, it dries your skin out so there's a very there's a thicker consistency with deeper moisture goes into sort of lower skin layers and then the nighttime moisturizer you know again for restoration and recovery cellular recovery and getting an even skin tone and reducing redness and solving some common skin issues i think it's really smart to have a cream designated for men because i feel like men have a lot thicker skin than women and so the formulation should be different as well for men yeah a hundred percent and i think that that again that was a founding kind of thing for me is that there's not really a lot out there a lot of choice for guys for men and um, we have got slightly thicker skin and typically oilier skin and produce more sebum as well which is why the formulas are designed to for men specifically to kind of take those into things, those things into account. Um, I've worked really closely with a small lab to produce four formulas that are all natural and we're a, a sustainable brand as well. Yeah. Well, that's really great. And I'm excited to see that launch and to see all the success you're going to have with it. It seems like a really great idea. And like you have products for every occasion, for every time of day, for every season, for every climate, like that's, um, that's really great. And I think that hasn't really been done like that before. I wish you the best of success with that. 
Yeah, thank you very much. It, it means a lot. As cheese as it sounds, it's about adding something of value and adding something positive out there to society and engaging with a community that want that want the help are looking for the solution and that you can actually have an impact on. And I'm hoping to really grow like a group and a community behind the brand. So where can people support you? The best place at the moment is probably on Instagram, actually. So again, in, in just at in just skincare, um, but we're going to be starting up a Facebook group and those platforms as well, so people can engage there. One thing that I would love to do initially is to set up a sort of portal on on our website where um, people can opt in to take a quiz and a questionnaire, so that we can find out a bit more about our audience and and obviously as we grow from there and acquire like some contacts and make some contacts, then forming those groups and answering some questions. There's a real health focus to this brand because of obviously my background in nutrition and health and sport. It's not just about skincare; it's about the value of routine and all the things that we do. And the blog and the literature is going to talk about sort of general lifestyle habits. So tips like like we're sharing in this episode? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think I don't just want to support men and, and guys with, with their skincare. I think that men that want to sort of look good, feel good and take care of themselves probably want to take care of themselves in other areas as well. So because I've got knowledge mm-hmm. in nutrition and training, it's about sharing some sort of small and manageable things that you can incorporate into your life like gradually over time and hopefully going to have an impact on that too. And for people who are listening, you should all follow Chris too on his own Instagram, especially if you are interested in uh, shirtless six-pack photos <laughs> or you know, just <laughs> just go on there and have a great time. <laughs> no, it's, it's not all of them. It's not all me. There are a couple. I mean, I do play beach volleyball. So, so it's not vain. It, he has an excuse, guys. There's <laughs> <laughs> excuse. <laughs> sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on and it was a pleasure to have you and I hope that everyone listening, um, if you're listening to this this far in and i assume that you got some kind of value and uh you should definitely stay connected to us and stay tuned for more yeah thank you very much for having me it's been great i really enjoyed our talk and yeah hopefully see you again